Welcome to Fargo Talks Fargo, a podcast on the FX television series Fargo. I host the show with my buddy Sharpie. I'm Bill. That's not how I usually say it. I don't know what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) It's only been 10 years. No. Well, over 100 shows. Yeah, by the way, we sort of glossed over that. I apologize. We, a couple of episodes ago, was the 100th episode we've recorded. <laughs> that, you know As what? If anybody we, cares. We've been saying all season that poor woman, our poor listeners. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, man. I rewatched this thing and I don't know if it solved anymore or fixed anything or I just, it just created more questions. What about you? Nothing gets solved in Fargo. It's just always unraveling chaos. I caught different things and I got caught up in a few things that I mentioned I was going to look at, but then in full ADHD, it like sent me down a different rabbit hole. And all of a sudden you were like, Hey, what time are we recording? And I was like, soon. I'm sorry. I was, I was next. I'm on some random freaking Wikipedia page for Crimean. (laughs) Yeah. Composers from Armenian and Soviet composers. Uh, did you get down any kind of crazy rabbit holes like that today? Sure did. Oh, fun! I can't wait to talk about this because I, I did ask you. Let's talk about this a little because this shows this episode seems like a doozy. And your response was, "Nah, let's just talk about it." No, talking about it is the show, Bill. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> you'd, you'd be making us do our job twice. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's so play along with me. Did you? I brought it up in the thing. So we we did get the nice recap. And what I really really noticed this time was that until she said Roy's name, there was no other audio or things. The minute she said Roy, we got that tennis back and forth volley sound back and forth. Yeah. And I and I it was it was for real. I was right. It was playing on the TV. Uh, in the background at Irma's house in ep- in episode three. So I don't know the complete connection to it, but I know it's there. And I actually sent you a link. It's called Tennis and Drums, the music that starts around there. Uh, and it's it's actually Jeff Russo, the composer for the show, has put this in there. It's in the soundtrack. It's on iTunes and Spotify, probably people. So if you want to hear it, go look at it. it. It didn't make the soundtrack for nothing. He didn't just think, oh, I can't wait to put tennis sounds on there. But what I noticed was even in this recapping thing, before the title even rolls, tennis starts, Scotty says it, and it's boom. It's a basically, for the most part, there's some one shots, but it's a two shot, Dot and Indira. They're volleying back and forth with whatever they're doing. I'm so happy to see you. Sheriff Roy. Sheriff Roy. Sheriff Roy. Sheriff I gotta do something. She's not safe. Then it cuts to Roy and Gator. Dad, come on, you're not paying this guy. Solve it with a bullet, not. We tried killing him. Now we're bailing water out of a sinking boat. We need to take luck out of the equation. And then there's sort of a a dual Roy slash Gator and Oli. They're going back. Now, I didn't make your deal, but if I had, I would have been clear. That woman's like a tick. Can't crush her, can't pull her out clean. Suffocation is the key. Probably ought to let her be. And then they cut to talking between Gator and Oli, and then another one between Roy and Oli. So I feel like my inference from this is that this is all about volleys and back and forth between people and stuff, and that's why there's this Tennessee noise, but... 
but I'm st- I, maybe I'll put it in a post. No, I won't. Uh, yeah, but it's this going back and forth, and then we'll hear very, very similar items to this throughout the episode is what I noticed. And we'll, we'll, I'll bring them up as we get there. Did you, did you get anywhere with the tennis thing beyond this or not? Well, it's not the first time we've said the word volley on this show this season. So we mm-hmm. called that out uh, a couple different times in previous episodes. I think even starting at episode one, uh, we were saying that there was a volley between t- different characters. So it's it's definitely mm-hmm. a theme of the season, and I think that's a, a really nice catch to hear that in the in the actual song. There's just so so much back and forth, and there's so many multiple layered themes going on in this this season. So I got down a rabbit hole of what game are they watching? Blue tennis courts from. C- episode three okay it's like late october early november what was going on in 2019 that irma would be watching on tv by the way there was some finals going on anyway we don't need to go there i'll probably figure it out someday and mention it to you i don't think it matters but i want to know but you don't know today no i didn't i didn't get there there was there was a finals match at the end of october early november in china tennis fans reach out what w you know the women's tennis whatever the professional women's tennis thing let us know and yes don't at me about the fact that most of the blue courts a lot of people associate them with uh the u.s open so unless she's watching a rerun of the u.s open which is generally way earlier in the year than winter Mm. early espn classics maybe yeah, I just don't know. Is that really Irma's jam? Nah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You know, it's not her jam. Her her son Kevin. He he came in, introduced himself, and he left so oh so quickly. Bill, <laughs> Kevin, do you miss him? I hardly knew ye, and that is just fine with me. Yeah, he's a real piece of work, isn't he? Yeah, he's uh the new self proclaimed landlord. I guess uh gets introduced to Oli. And demands only start paying the rent, basically. Interesting enough that he says, he threatens him with a, you're going to take advantage of a widow. And it's like, dude, that's exactly what you're doing, you asshat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. This is just another indicator during the season of somebody saying, you shouldn't, how dare you do this? I'm doing this. They don't say it that way, but it's the do as I say, not as I do. Speaking of Jeff Russo, um, I loved what he did here when when we're being introduced to Oli in this first scene. There's these string sounds as mm-hmm. that are almost like a, his like beastly breath. Did yeah. you catch that? He's just like it makes him more it makes him sort of this more of this fantastical character that he might be. Uh, you know, we've seen cuts of him or his ancestor from 500 years ago, but maybe that was him. Maybe he is this mystical creature. And maybe he does have these, they, they really kind of built him up there. And they did so later on too, when uh, we see mama die, but. Mm-hmm. Well, can we, can we, can we talk about something real quick before the kitchen? Scene? Oh yeah, sure. Just, just as the argument's happening, you're talking about this otherworldly Oli. What I, I can't wait if we can ever get to it. An episode we're hoping to produce this season. They pan, they go up the stairs and mm, I know you what you're going to say. You see, you pan past the, the bedroom and there's no Oli. And then they mm-hmm. go to the bathroom, which what I don't know what the significance of this bathroom is, but we keep revisiting that bathroom. Boy, it's a magical bathroom. It's a magical place. And, and then when you turn back, he's there. And it does have a little bit of a vibe as if he maybe was just sitting down, but not really. He's pretty firmly planted there. It's almost like he appears 
the minute he feels this injustice is happening to his new landlord, who he is in what I consider a fair trade with. Albeit, he kind of thrust it upon Irma, but uh, okay, we'll go for it. He's the guard dog, otherwise known as the shitbird. Yeah. Who multiple characters refer to only as in this show, in this episode. And speaking of birds, like everybody has this, these sort of like bird representations throughout the season, right? You've got, you've got the peacocks in Roy's room. He's also got roosters in his kitchen. Mm-hmm. We've got all these birds kind of all around. And there's an, and then we've got Oli being called shitbird by multiple different characters. And then we're in the mama's kitchen and there's a female pheasant, I believe it is, in her kitchen, a mounted taxidermy pheasant. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm hmm. And we've talked about pheasants before on this show, uh, mostly in hunting them and eating them. Uh, beautiful creatures. But they are kind of interesting. They're definitely very prevalent in the Midwest. Yeah. They've, they've sort of gotten all over the world now. But what's interesting about a pheasant is it very rarely flies away. Pheasants typically, they hunker down. They don't migrate. So this is sort of very much in line with mama. They don't migrate for the winter. They hunker down during winter months. Um, they're They're actually quite easy prey for a lot of predators mm-hmm. um, because they really they just don't like to fly instead they run around the ground and they kind of just you're right hunker down is right i mean you can be standing on top of one of them they're sort of known as an ankle turner in some ways like because they'll get up out from under you and they'll scare the living shit out of you as they fly away that's when you also another reason to never ever ever have your finger through the trigger of a shotgun while you're hunting just saying also safety on always okay but yes i do i did agree that that looked like a hen pheasant and and or a grouse but i think pheasant's probably more accurate could be a grouse right the only thing that threw me off from the pheasant was it's got this like white tipped tail which you don't usually see on a pheasant uh but what do i know i'm not a bird man another interesting thing about pheasants uh which i actually learned after this, I didn't know this before, uh, pheasants can survive a long time without food. Mm-hmm. So just like mama surviving on pork rinds and beer, uh, <laughs> right. I, think, I think the pheasant <laughs> is a very good symbol of mama. Yeah, this whole this scene is, is probably one of the few that we really kind of get to see a few other things outside of the magical world. And when I say magical world, I just mean we're going to just be honest here that, that Dots takes a little trip of her own. And I don't care what anyone says. It's Oz. It's you got to go somewhere else <laughs> to realize the universe of home that you need or whatever the truth is that you're trying to kind of find out there. I'm going to come back to this and beat this thing like a... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just close out this scene and then we can get there, Bill. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you all saw it. Oli takes the axe to Mama's son, just like Gare Grimsford did when he took out Carl. Yeah, you caught that right away. I didn't. The minute you said it, I was like, God, I'm an idiot. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It was just right on the money. We also see a little bit of Ole's, you know, uh, classic patience. So as he gives the money to Kevin right before his demise. I'm glad you mentioned that. Mm. We, We talked about this a little bit, though. Unlike Gator and Roy, he doesn't snap to a thing. He Mm. thinks, he articulates how he is going to mete out his form of justice through all his weird wording and his third person chatting. But you're right. He he does show his patience. He's like, I'm gonna let, wait, why? Maybe it's rude to kill kill the guy in the house in front of Irma. Right. I mean for hey, for all we know, Irma could have said, Kill that motherfucker. I hate him. <laughs> I don't know. A man's gotta have some values. Yeah. 
just boy, they, they they let us hate that dude right out of the gate, though. He's he's he officially went he went full Gator plus one really fast. Sometimes Fargo needs to sprinkle in those characters just to you know satisfy uh, satiate the the what do you call it appetite? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> sure, we're all horrible people. <laughs> well, shall we shall we take a trip in the Kia with Dot? Let's do it with "My Love Is a Hurricane" blasting by David Ramirez. Mm. You David Ramirez fan? Uh, no. Uh, well, no, I shouldn't say that. I am n- not familiar with the music. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I've listened to him a few times in my life. I know he's got an EP called, uh, I think it's called The Rooster, or maybe it's just Rooster, but mm. I thought that was interesting. Music is always top-notch on this show, and I think it's the same way. We, we, we highly respect the people behind the scenes on these shows, and I'm sure that's Maggie Phillips and a bunch of people who've been working on this show every season. They do such a great job with the music, the music supervision, and, and all that. And this this particular episode had a lot of music going on, but this little montage of Dot driving in the car just went perfectly, as with a lot of the music in this episode did, went perfectly with um, the storytelling. So you see, you see Dot, you see Dot, <laughs> different different season, that different season, <laughs> wrong season, bud. Uh, you see Dot. Uh, driving her car, kind of getting sleepy, dozing off, but then also having these flashbacks of Scotty standing alone in the garage. Mm-hmm. Not that it's good anywhere. Driving around out here in this part of the Midwest, and definitely in the southern states from here, South Dakota and Nebraska, like it's with no massive amounts of terrain. It is. It can be draining on a longer drive. Oh yeah. And I, I have, I have hit the rumble strip many times in my life. <laughs> I have too, actually. It is uh, very mentally taxing. It's amazing how much work doing next to nothing can be. I've been farther off the road into the ditch than that. <laughs> I, really? not, I shouldn't laugh, but my friend and I were driving south from Grand Forks, and uh, yeah, he, he and I both were kind of overtired and one of those like you wake up and you're like wow we have entered the ditch but luckily some areas the ditch is just very rolling and slow and so you just veer yourself back onto the road and boy that'll keep you <laughs> and then what you say we're never going to speak of this again uh just about it happened once in the winter too with a friend of mine and we pulled over at uh charlie's you know charlie's sure yeah the chart the famous charlie's uh diner we were coming back from the Twin Cities way too late at night after a concert. I said, I'm too tired to drive. I can't do it. I keep falling. I keep dozing off. And my buddy Eric's like, oh, I got it. I got it, dude. We He made it like 10 miles after I did. <laughs> I wake up to see the guardrail coming at us. And he goes, nope, ah! no thanks. And we just pulled <laughs> off and we uh, we slept in the parking lot of Charlie's uh, until they w- opened at like 6 a.m. And then we had a caramel roll and, and, and all was well with the world. And we were safe. Okay. Boy, so I haven't thought of Charlie's in a long time. Yeah. If you get a chance, you should go. You're a caramel guy, huh? Not a caramel uh, guy? I've changed. I changed it because it started to bother me that there's an A in there that no one says. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, but I'm glad you caught that. How, how, does the, how, do, how do you say the word nephla then? I, it's a silent K. Do you say canephla? No. I, well, if I'm trying to make a dad joke, yes. Just like I say jalapenos on my nachos okay we got to talk about dot here yes i feel very much after on the second watch that she is driving very clearly towards north dakota not minnesota yep i also think you had an incredible portion last week when you caught that it was called brace the the truck stop was called brace which i just thought mm-hmm. everything about it is bracing you're just like the, the air out there at that c- kind of season is bracing 
You better brace yourself. They're going to mess with us with this storyline. What I want to talk about real quick is some things I started to notice that uh, on a rewatch make me go, yeah, you dummy. Of course. But first, can we talk about dreams, maybe? Just a teeny bit? And what they may come. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't expecting that. No, but you know, like the thing, I don't dream a lot because I'm a terrible sleeper and so I don't tend to hit that area of sleep. But is it, aren't dreams so interesting the way that they take all sorts of things that are real in your life or portions of things that are real? Like, have you ever had a dream where you're like in your house and it's totally your house, but then you go into a different room and it's connected to a different house and it's just sort of normal? It's almost like weirdly inception y. Totally. You can be in your house and know it's your house, but it's really nothing like your actual yeah, house. Yeah, or it's only one room of your house and the rest is. Or I've had dreams where I'm in, I'm in my parents' family room, but we're looking out over something that is not their backyard. And, and your, your brain just does just incredible things to you when it's doing this, this shuffles of sleep and, and sleeplessness. And I realized after all of this that you said, I'm your puppet was on the radio. And I realized it wasn't the other way that the story itself, I think is the other way around. The puppets in her dream are because she heard the song on the radio. She had an earworm and it affected her dream. I didn't realize that. Oh yeah, that's exactly. I mean, okay. So we get, so Dot pulls into the the Brace uh, truck stop, which is all kinds of things as truck stops are. Hotels, motels, holiday inns, Mm -hmm. uh, diners, drive-ins and dashes. I'm your puppets playing. You enter. The door says brace. So the the show is foreshadowing from this moment forward to infinity. Okay. They're painting the picture right before our eyes and everything is like you said, like an earworm into her dream. So you pull into the brace and the brace paints a picture of this entire story. It starts off with focusing on a camp utopia postcard. I completely missed the Camp Utopia postcard in the open. Because you didn't know what it was. Like, you would think nothing of it, right? It's just a postcard, Camp Utopia. These places have racks of postcards. Seems pretty normal. Rack focus to dot. What do you see? You see next to her, to her right, you see a Roy-like cowboy poster. Mm -hmm. Very much like Roy. Then it pans over and you see a cigarette vending machine in her story. Roy smells of cigarettes, as he would as a smoker. You see North Dakota um, Roundup, like rodeo posters, advertising pancake breakfasts. Mm. Then you see Helen, the server. Yep. They're having a little back and forth. And she's like, you know, where are you coming? Are you coming or going or whatever? And And Dot just says home. And she says, as in you're going home or you're running away from home? Running away from home. Now that becomes a part of Dot's story. Yeah. Okay. And then you've got the bulletin board with the doll fair. You've got the chicken piccata recipe on there. You've got own a real ranch advertisement on there. All this stuff unfolds in her, maybe we call it a dream or whatever. But that just makes me wonder, did any of this actually happen? Or is it just all being influenced by the world around her? And she's she's just experiencing herself this for the first time as we are. Like, is any is is Linda Gator's mom or is this a made up character? Is any of this real? I don't know. That's what I love about that is that you're 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 picking all this up. And it's even there's the word racket is in there, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. on that bulletin board and the flowers and, and a bunch of extra things. But, yeah, yep. I just I mean, I saw it, but I didn't manifest it and i think yeah i think these are all like i'm not trying to take away from the story that i think is dot's truest story but it's wrapped in this daydream of crazy not crazy but just wrapped in this daydream of like what has your mind 
seen or been influenced by completely. The more I think about it, the more it becomes clear to me that I think I'm on the side of none of this actually happened because otherwise that's a pretty friggin' awesome coincidence that her entire life story is on the bulletin board of some diner in, in who knows where. That's what I'm saying though. I think what happened to her and Roy and Linda at the house, at that, at the hands of Roy and her situation, I think that's all real. I think all the surrounding artifacts of it are her brains just piecing together the stuff. Because, I mean, even if you think about it, if you look at that Camp Utopia postcard, dude, it is valleys and mountainy. Like, do you know how far you need to get out of North Dakota to see that kind of like peaks and valley mountain? I, I remember thinking, and I wrote a note about it when she got to the Camp Utopia area, I wrote down like something to the effect of like, that's it's sort of northern Minnesota, but she's supposed to be in North Dakota. So I got lost. Like, it was. It was bracing, right? It was jarring for me. Yeah. So what you're saying is the underlying story might be true, but perhaps all yes. these little details are peppered like Kaiser Sosaid in to her life story. And they may may or may not have been there. Yes. And we've we've gone on these little excursions in the TV show Fargo and all these types of things. I mean, like go all the way back to the Busby Berkeley scene from Big Lebowski. Like there's always these sort of fits of fancy that happen in a way to tell a story about something. The smiley face on the pancakes, by the way, was a really interesting touch because did you notice later on that Scott, hey, Scotty loves breakfast. And did you see Scotty's sweatshirt, sweater I noticed had all smiley faces on it when we see her yep. later? Mm -hmm. I thought about it a little bit more too about how she, that she's on that weird other side of the road, which I'm like, that's totally dream weird. Just maybe you're just on the other side of the road. But I realized that that uh, there might be some meaning here. There's this. It's lonely kind of windmill out there in the middle of nowhere, but that windmills, I mean, I know they're all over the Midwest. I get it. I'm not trying to make anything out of nothing, but they are, but it's on the property in Roy's stuff and it's in the puppet kind of marionette segment as well on the Roy. Mm -hmm. So all I thought was, is Lorraine truly buried beneath that? And that's just, that's the memory she holds and that's her way of remembering it. Lorraine? Sorry, now, oh, my bad. Your face just went, what? Uh, I was like, Linda, Whoa. Linda, sorry, Linda. <laughs> We're going down a rabbit hole here. It builds on to something. Because prior to St. Thomas More writing Utopia, which was written in like 1518, that was how we came up with our current, what we consider modern thinking of Utopia. Prior to that, in Greek, it means no place. And so mm -hmm. they're telling us right out of the gate, this is nowhere. This isn't real. Utopia exactly. is not real. Exactly. Yeah, so she pulls up to that. Um, she pulls up looking for her secret treasures, her treasures, and finds that postcard that just says, hey, I'm sorry, autograph Linda. And then we head over to Camp Utopia, a.k.a. Camp Nowhere. Okay, so this is interesting to me because um, she clearly didn't find what she's looking for. Or maybe she did. Maybe that is what she was looking for. And she keeps on driving. She notices the Camp Utopia sign on the side of the road. And then, oh, what a coincidence, car runs out of gas. Mm -hmm. So this is all, again, being influenced dun, dun, dun. by the things in the physical world or the other universe that's running parallel to this, because Dot is quite literally running out of gas. She's tired. So she's personally tired. She's fallen asleep at the wheel. Yeah. And guess what? In her dream, the car runs out of gas and has to stop because she's just physically exhausted. Happens to run out of gas right in front of Camp Utopia. And what I also loved about this is she's like, oh, I'm going to... Uh, this is where I was going anyway. I'm I'm heading in. Let's let's go find Linda. There's no road into Camp Utopia. 
Nope. You know, there's it's completely snow. She's just trudging through the snow in the forest to get there. And it goes day to night pretty quick, which sort of happens around here. But did you uh, t- time out here for uh, fun time show trivia? Did you notice the complete movie, as my wife or I would call movie screw ups here in the scene? I'll give it to me. This show is filmed in Canada. Her American Kia goes from zero to 240, which is kilometers, but it says MPH. And I just thought, wow, that's a really speedy Kia until I realized that's... Uh, that's just the kilometers, but it says miles per hour in there. So it's uh, if you if you feel like finding it, it's it's at ten minutes six seconds. Also, the car is still moving when they cut to that, <laughs> and it's in park. <laughs> it's in park on the screen. Also, it's got dealer plates, and it has one hundred and fifty two thousand and eight hundred and twelve miles on it. I don't know a dealer who has ever driven <laughs> a car off their own lot that far. So. She's traveled a long way. Maybe that's what they're trying to get after. Have, have you ever owned a Kia, Bill? <laughs> no, I have not. That's just how they are. Oh, they go. The, that's the, the dial way. says something different from the digital display. Oh. They start off at like 150,000 because they've been thoroughly tested. It's funny. I know. It's because they filmed this in Vancouver, uh, up, up north somewhere. Bill drives a Volkswagen. I do. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But nope. I know everybody's wondering after you said that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 1973 okay, Volkswagen Beetle. Uh, the the Beetle I have is a 1974. But oh my God, I was close. You're so close. You just, I, I was just be, guessing. I don't even yeah, know cars. That does not. That does not go 120 miles an hour. <laughs> okay. So also, I want to touch back on when she starts on this journey. The music that plays from her going to the windmill to the side of the road all the way to the portion. Where the puppet show ends and she faints and the people are clapping. The clapping is actually part of the recording of the Crimean mm-hmm. sketches three or four by uh, Alexander Spendiarian, who's an Armenian and Soviet composer. And I just thought it's Crimean sketches. We've touched on some Russian Pravda and Pravda stuff on previous seasons. Maybe it's just a cool song. The only person that can answer that for us is Jeff, but I just thought it was fun. Very fun. And, and that crowd cheering is because it's a live recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end, so that's uh, the women at Utopia are not making that much of a rousing clapping uh, at the end of that. But yeah, beautiful scene. Um, so when we see her faint, we don't know it yet, but we see Linda in the front row. Um, so she turns around, must recognize Dot right away. Um, love the puppet show stuff. Love the candle lit kind of atmosphere we've got going on, and with that music, really tops it off. So we see Dot or Nadine. Or or nay dot. I think I feel or, like this far into the show now, we just got to call her dot because she has declaratively told us who she is. She's Dorothy. That's right. Yeah, she's Dorothy now. Um, we see her being woken up by Lindo mm-hmm. and being read uh, the Goldilocks little story. Weirdly too, and it's like muffled and weird, and there's a ringing thing going on. I honestly, clear thought up right something away. was wrong with my TV. <laughs> oh yeah, and there's a painting in the background that I swear to God is Kristen Rudrud from the original movie Fargo, all the way down to the bangs and the hair. Absolutely. If you get a chance to go back to the show, 
go to this scene with Lindo and Dot and look at this painting behind Lindo. It is, you mentioned it very briefly at the tail end of the hot dish. Mm-hmm. And the more we looked at it, we're like, oh my God, that is definitely Kristen Rudrud from the original movie Fargo. Way too uncanny that it, it did, but it's just, boy, 13 minutes, 15 seconds in if you've paid for the show. Kristen played the woman that got kidnapped in the original movie. And she's also know. a Fargo-Moorhead resident. And that's correct. Sharpie and I have run into her on multiple occasions. We uh, we ran into her downtown a few quite a few years ago and took a fun picture of it and posted it to our social media. Anyway, tell me more about Goldilocks. That's all I had. <laughs> oh, I, sorry. I was just trying to give you a segue back. Um, I appreciate it. Can I skip us ahead to, to help point out something that I think has been going on here? In this episode, because I feel like I'm going to do a disservice to the discussion if I don't. There's a story that Wayne tells Scotty later, and it's about that she's the sun and she's rainbows and she's, you know, which somewhere over the rainbow, uh, Wizard of Oz. Some people hated us for this. Sorry. Um, And she talks about rainbows. She talks about climbing a tree. She talks about a smile on your face all the way back to the pancakes. She even says, talks about wrestling an alligator. Gator? But if you go to this first scene when they start walking through the woods, there is snow falling, the sun is shining, and with the you know when the snow falls, it gives you those artifacts of camera light and it creates prisms and rainbows in the scene. And then mm-hmm. it cuts to a random scene. She climbs a tree. There is a Linda in a tree. Mm-hmm. Climb a tree. There's a Linda in a tree because I, I think all of these women are somehow representative of Dorothy in their own way, and they're all because it's all an imagining of her own transformative process that she's taking. So I don't know. That's just this, this, that's part of this theme I'm thinking of. She's in another world, but they're all the hero and they're all her and she's all them. Just, just a thought. Yeah. I've heard people, um, a couple of my friends had mentioned to me that they, I mean, and it's just because it's timely, I think, but with the Barbie movie coming out, but they thought this was very like much like a scene from Barbie. Cause everybody's named Barbie and everybody's like, Hey Linda, mm. Hey Linda, Hey Linda. I didn't really get that. I think that's just fresh in people's mind. But I did find that scene interesting. I did notice the prisms and and that kind of stuff going on in the camera when the snow falls. I thought they were. I thought there was something interesting about the timing of all that snow falling. I don't know mm-hmm. if there really is. I tried to figure that out. But I really liked Dot's wardrobe here. Actually, it just felt very. It's different from what she's typically wearing with her mm-hmm. like big oversized Carhartt jacket. Uh, it felt it felt very kind of Star Wars to me. It felt yeah. a little bit um, like from that universe with the green jacket and the belt. I really liked that. And the person who's giving her the tour, Lindo, we learned that they each get a new letter at some point. They get to mm-hmm. like earn letters and change their name from Linda with a with a start at their like rebirth name, and then it gradually changes over. So now she's Lindo. And then, of course, there were Star Wars references earlier. So I was like, oh, is her next one going to be an A for Lando? Yeah. Totally different type of character. (laughs) I I thought about that. (laughs) I noticed the thing you were talking about, though, is that did you notice that they all are wearing shades of green? Yes. So this was, and especially when we meet the the original Linda, St. Linda, Mm -hmm. um, there's also guns like everywhere throughout this cabin or compound what? or fortress or whatever you want to call it. Did I miss there the are, guns? There are racks and racks and racks of guns and they're all kind of dressed in green and especially St. Linda, she looks like this sort of um like South American guerrilla warrior leader. 
She's got yeah. the little handkerchief. She's got the green jumpsuit. And then that <laughs> kind of made me think of them all like that. Like there's sort of this militia of women. You oh know, my God, they are everywhere. There's so many guns. There's so many, so many guns in this place. <laughs> Just everywhere you turn. But you know, interestingly enough, they're all, they're not like assault weapons. They're all like hunter, like gathering, like true hunter weapons. Yeah, which they might have to use. I mean, they're eating chicken piccata, and uh, this ain't no fun. That's, that's how they're taking like. out the chickens out there? <laughs> and there's no roads in or out of this place, so they're not going to the grocery store. So they're hunting wild chicken, I think, Bill. Maybe that's why they look like a bunch. Oh, okay, okay, okay. It's a war on birds. I like it. I, I even it, it doesn't mean anything, but there is this really great, you know, good art in the background catches my eye. And there is a borax, the queen's... The Queen's Royal Starch Glaze. Yeah, you caught it too. Ah, I love that we catch the same things. It's just a beautiful piece of old art and advertising. I just liked it. It was cool. I don't think it means anything. I just liked it. It was really cool. And I liked it too. I wanted to see where I could get it. I found it on eBay. Did you notice too that when we meet, when we meet St. Linda though, that she, I mean, it's Rudolph, but it's still a stag on the back yeah. of her, her sweater. It's like mm-hmm. kind of like stag meets Rudolph meets uh, Jeff Lebowski sweater. Totally. Good mashup. Yeah, it's perfect. And St. Linda refers to Dot quite a few times as dear. Mm-hmm. She does. Which is just, you know, an, an endearing uh, thing to say, but I thought it was kind of also pretty blatant. Mm-hmm. Also, in this dining hall, uh, speaking of them being, you know, somewhat like this, like, uh, guerrilla militia, tons of trees, lots of greenery. It's like they're in the jungle. Yeah. This is a, this is a, bu- this is a, Tiger militia. There was another tiger up at uh, a, a tiger made of all of the like a collage of all the women in the house. Yeah, I saw that. It was like in the, it was like 2018 behind it or something like that. 2014. Yeah, I think. Uh, this is also though where we were introduced to the idea of there are sort of another you know f- straight up Danish graves here. Uh, there's two versions of the truth. We have to find the truth, and then I thought the part that I thought was interesting <laughs> was that Linda says. The Lindas will watch and decide. Yeah. And I thought, shouldn't, I mean, I get it. It's a puppet, but shouldn't they be listening? Okay. And that's how we find the true truth. <laughs> the true truth. <laughs> Goodness. It's Yeah, so there'll be a trial. A, tri- well, a trial by fire or dolls. Trial by marionette. Yes. Anyway, well, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's wash ourselves out of the dreamscape that Dot is living in. <laughs> and uh, let's visit the uh, Lion Motors where Scotty and Wayne are talking about egg-laying mammals and capitalism. Mm-hmm. The spiny anteater and the platypus, which is a, a, a great reference to sort of the um, ambiguity of Scotty's gender and just like how, you know, the world is more complicated than it may seem. Not everything's black mm-hmm. and white. So that's also a great reference there. Uh, we see this awesome scene. Well, Awesome on multiple levels because we really start to fall in love, I think, with Wayne here, even before he gets to his, um, some of his stuff later. But this whole shock that this whole thing that happened with him really turned him. I mean, he was always a loving character, but it's really, it's sort of like he's just now this man of the world and we all just need to love each other and, you know, peace on earth and all this good stuff. And he's really having a great interaction with Scotty and the donuts and the the bear claws and this the salesman that works for him trying to sell this uh this Rio great car. Mm-hmm. And Wayne says, "Why don't we just trade him for their old <laughs> 2005 Sportage, which is so great car for a car." 
which has been which is an obvious nod to the Code of Hammurabi, which we talked about earlier this season, which was Hammurabi was the name of the pawn shop where Gator and Roy met earlier. Um, and that's where the Code of Hammurabi is where Eye for an Eye comes from. And so this is obviously a reference to that, car for a car. The salesman not getting it whatsoever. This is also, I think, another nod to the original movie, Fargo, where uh, I think it was Jerry Lundegaard's trying to, uh, I can't remember exactly, what is he trying to do, like get a deal? Um yeah, he tries to that's screw just him obviously over. not going to happen. Yeah. He 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 is though. I mean, I think you're you're right in the eye for an eye a little bit just in this world too, but he's also it's the whole each has received a gift, use it to serve another. And he says that's from the Bible. That is from the Bible. It's 1 Peter verse 4 through 10, and that's what it is and it's it's about the religious I mean, I'm not going to interpret the Bible for everybody here, but the the overarching theme is that you have to if you have of things, you should share of them and give and serve one another. Um, and that that in and of itself is the moral and righteous thing to do is to to not do it. And that's what I just love. <laughs> I love the guy, though. He's like, that's not how capitalism works. And and honestly, in, some, in a lot of ways, I don't think capitalism is very uh, cr- Christian. So whatever. But that whole first <laughs> section, uh, Peter, uh, yeah, it talks exactly about that. Um, and it talks about how we shouldn't invest so much in a world that is passing away, mm-hmm. which I think is a great uh, analogy for this show. Like things don't get too attached to anything because everything's passing away. Everything's blowing by. Everything's crumbling. Nothing lasts forever. Yeah. And we, um, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that's what serves us here is that we just see that there is a connection between Scotty and Wayne and whether it's through his electroshock therapy or whatever, we're seeing moments of both things with Wayne, or we're seeing that he's just more preoccupied with what's going on, and he's—I think—he's just kind of out there missing his his other person, and um, he's there trying to just be there for Scotty and wants to have fun and have donuts instead. And but he's he's reminded. So in a weird way, they've reversed now, and Scotty is a little bit of his caretaker, I think, in these scenes where she has to say, "Well, is mom back?" No, mom's not back. Oh, well, maybe we shouldn't have, we should probably have a vegetable or something because she's probably not getting the bre- the same level of breakfast <laughs> that she, Scotty totally. would be getting if, Ma, if Mama Dot was around. She's definitely surviving on cereal and donuts. <laughs> yeah, right. And oh. we've said before um, that Scotty's going to turn out to be, you know, a pretty dangerous character by the end of this show. And she's could, starting could be. to... She's starting to, yeah, I mean, I think, I think you're right, though. She's becoming the caretaker. She's growing up real fast. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would say she's dangerous. I just think she may have to encounter something that's unfortunate. I think dangerous to the dark side. Mm, okay, I hear you. You're coming A back formidable to, foe. Coming back to your Star Wars, young Padawan. Uh, we're, we're awash in blue light in Gator's room, and then we mm-hmm. get to see good old Gator undertaking his giant plan that he should have never done in the first place. And this is where we hear Fargo Metal mm-hmm. by Jeff Russo. Yep. Another classic Fargo track. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there's a, uh, a book, and did they make it into a sh- documentary? Uh, Fargo Rock City? I don't know if they did yet. By Chuck Klosterman? Yeah. yeah. I think it got optioned. I don't know if they've made it. There was a period in time where um, Fargo had a pretty good rock scene. And they still do, probably. Yeah. Uh, great! It's it's a great city for live music because there's always people passing through. Yes, and playing an awesome show in a small venue on a Tuesday night. 
What a dumb, what a great and dumb line when he Gator slaps the stock of the gun thing. He's like, munch on this. <laughs> yeah. It's like an old 80s, like, uh, just action movie character. Yeah. He's got the Dodge Challenger poster. He's got pictures of Navy SEALs next to half-naked women. We do see that his tattoo does, in fact, say LOL with the barbed wire O, as you had predicted. <laughs> um, he's also got a three tattoo on his left forearm, um, Roman numeral three, which I'm guessing is a, a three percenters reference. Probably. Three percenters, which is a far right militia in the United States, um, which references the fact that, you know, they say that only th- it only took 3% of citizens to bend off the evil tyranny of the king and win the American Revolution. Oh, stupid What gator. a piece of garbage. <laughs> I didn't realize until the second watch the dangerous thing, because I wrote my notes say, um, Irma dragging her cart with beers, pork rinds, and oranges, and also mm-hmm. one empty beer can. So she has already ripped through one on the way yeah. home from the store. <laughs> Irma had a roadie. (laughs) She had a total road rocket. Yeah. (laughs) Between the grocery store and her house, which is a walkable distance. It must be. I mean, she clearly can't drive if you drink that much beer a day. But uh, I didn't realize the danger of the oranges until way too late, until the second viewing. Oh, enlighten me. Uh, There's a whole thing, and I'm not a huge... I haven't seen them a bunch, and I mean, I've seen them, but I haven't, and I don't want to get into the depths of whether or not I'm an aficionado of... uh, the Godfather, but every time oranges show up in The Godfather, something bad is about to happen and somebody dies. <laughs> is that a real thing? Yes. Um, there's a big, there. It's there's, and I don't know if it was intentional or if it just happened, but uh, yeah, go, feel free to go ahead and look up oranges, Godfather, and you'll, uh, you'll even, even, even the way Irma's laid on in the street and there's, there's a scene in one of the Godfathers that escaped, um, where there's an orange seller on the side of the stand and there's a gun down and somebody with a car and then eventually the, the cart kind of spills and the oranges roll into the roadway. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time believing that this isn't a homage or payback to this. Like, hey, we've been warning you about things happening here and something bad's about to happen to somebody. I don't feel bad at all right now about Kevin getting shot again after he was already hacked. <laughs> I I did I but I am I am bummed to see what happened to Irma because and 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 I really don't think it was an intentional by Gator. I think he was just just another fuck up. Caught up in a thing very similar to, you know, I don't think Dorothy necessarily intentionally tried to like rip that guy in the bathroom, but you know, between the ice, the smacking him in the face and the bounce in his head. So it's the sort of second person, right? Because we've been seeing a little bit of a mirroring of now, especially through this episode, we haven't got here yet, but of Dot and Gator's relationship and what's going on. But yeah. Yeah. And this is really great, like textbook storytelling here when we cut to this scene. Um, because we do see the pork rinds and the beers, and so we know that Mama Irma is getting, you know, on her walk back from the liquor store, or the grocery store, or whatever. Maybe speaking it's of Mama Irma's beer, I'm going to have a Hams. Okay, just saying. Beauty, yeah. So we know that Mama Irma is out for a walk to get her sustenance, and that <laughs> leaves, in our mind, that leaves only Oli to be left in the house, right? So we're not even thinking about Kevin the mama's boy anymore. No. So this is just like really textbook storytelling. Very well done. Loved it. And we assume he's taking a shot at Oli, but 
Munch tricks us again. Great trap. The camera shot of the boots on the ground with the the rockers moving, and you're thinking, oh my God. And then the splatter, which by the way, I don't know what room it is. It must be the other, it must be a different room because I feel like the bed is moved. Maybe I'm wrong. Never mind. I'm stupid. Are we coming back to Home Alone here? (laughs) Is this another Home Alone move? Are we coming back to the Wet Bandits? A little bit, maybe. We must be. It's, you know, I was more concerned that he seemingly was still pulling on the cord after the bullet happened. I was like, dead men don't rock, Ollie. It's just subtle. He's like just subtly stopping it. So it's not too yeah. obvious. That's good. I love the splatter on the wall, though. Uh, very Tarantino ish and very much like our website. Yeah. We predicted that think, 10 years ago. Why do you think Ollie would leave the money in the car. I think he's about the fair exchange of things, but I don't think he actually cares about money. Oh, I think he was just setting a trap knowing Gator would come for it. Oh, you do. I think it's all part of the whole story here. It's all part of the the, mm. the entire scheme. Okay. Here's the little bait. Here's uh, Mama's boy up in the attic. It's all part of the plan. You think he was going to happen upon him? Yeah. He's just, boy, but Oli's pissed. He's pissed. He's not happy. Because I think Oli finds the tracker of some of some sort, but leaves it there. Says, okay, he's looking for my car. He's looking for me. He's trying to see where I am. Okay, I'm going to put the money here. Then he's going to see it. Then he's going to look up. He's going to see me in the attic or second floor or whatever. And he's got patience. Patience makes a plan go perfect. That's what they say. Well, I think this I think this may very well end not only the deal between there was no true deal between Gator and Ollie because Gator made that clear when they were leaving the the scene that he he's he feels differently than his father Roy, but I think this will probably kill the deal altogether because Ollie is going to view this as a terrible injustice. Absolutely. Yeah. We saw that all over his face. He is now pissed. Even though he didn't really know Mama, mm-hmm. he he was her guard dog. That was the yeah. deal. Yep. Quid pro quo. Exactly. Well, and then we immediately cut to uh, our our lovely boy, Wayne, staring off into the distance, back to this consistent, what I'm just going to keep calling the shining symmetry. He is flanked perfectly by two doors. They cut to a reverse shot. He's looking to the sky, and with the exception of the moon, he is flanked perfectly by two trees. Then it goes to a wide shot, and there's two doors with two lamps that are perfectly, you know, just so much... And I know that there's symmetry and all those sorts of things, but if you, you get into it, you go upstairs into the bedroom, everything is symmetrical. And this is where we get into this sort of who's taking care of who moment with Wayne and Scotty. But I think in this instance, I think this is where it leads Wayne to come back around as a father and say, no, 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 I'm here for you. Let me tell you about how amazing your mother is. And I know you miss her and I miss her too. So this is where we get this bedtime story about once upon a time there was a you know dot the sun's favorite he's very clear it's about daytime and rainbows and we've kind of talked about this so i won't i won't belabor this point but rainbows climbing a tree the smile on the face wrestling an alligator gator and that the darkness hates light and ugliness comes out at night and fighting the dark side right sharpie Mm -hmm. this was another great i thought i saw this as another um volley if you will between Wayne's neurological injuries and his old, you know, good fatherly tendencies. So he he forgot the book to go tell story time, but he made up for it. And he's like, oh, no, I've got it right here. Yes, and let's read this little story. Let me pull up my glasses. 
Hold the book for me, please. Um, so it's a battle inside of him. I was just saying, yeah, it's something that's very near and dear to both of their hearts when they're missing somebody. I, I thought maybe you would have some more insight on it because I know you liked it because this is where you get the phrase, until you go someplace, you can't come home. Mm-hmm. But I thought what was interesting, there was a phrase about leave the flowers and birds at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I the, the image that I immediately got in my mind when he said that was scenes from Bambi, but I don't think that has anything to do with it. Yeah. Have you ever drank a utopian sunrise? <laughs> <laughs> I seriously... We the more we do this show, I feel like maybe we're just overly fueling each other that we catch these little utopian sunrise, and I just think, well, there is it's nowhere. Um, but yeah, I've I've never had a, I've never had one. <laughs> is that a cocktail? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's made of uh, rainbows and sunshine. Yeah, we did slightly skip over, but I still before we get to Dot making her her thing. I just, what was the thing that she said to the gal? Like, she's like, you really want to, you really want to get over this. She's like, yeah, no shit. (laughs) (laughs) She's got to make the doll. I love when she first realizes she has to make a doll and she starts cutting into that block of wood, like, like Hank Hill cutting into one of Peggy's pork chops. (laughs) (laughs) I just can't get it done. God dang it. (laughs) Oh, I thought it was super good though. Yeah, I feel like you're rushing and she goes, no shit. Because she's like, I just want to leave. It's very, uh, we got to get the money. We got to get the tape. We can't get the money if we don't get the tapes. Have you heard the tapes? There's magic on those tapes. Sorry. That was a Boogie Nights reference. <laughs> Another one. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the show whatsoever. I'm a big, bright, shining star. I'm a winner. I'm a winner. Wait, we did. T- yeah, we have. Ugh, it's the second one. You're right. And in just one night, Dot pulls off this amazing theatrical performance and hindsight's 2020 but that should have that should have told you right there hey something about here (laughs) something about this isn't in reality yeah she's a master marionette maker Mm -hmm. i love these 360 degree scenes in this puppet show so good so well even leading into it sharpie like even when she goes up the stairs the camera just swivels around and up and it's just Everything is turning and swirling with us to tell the story. But you're right. The minute that marionette Dorothy picks up the apple, and what I thought was so great about it is that behind her is very clearly a matte painting that would be used in any kind of puppet thing. But when the the whole thing swivels, it's all, it's even, it's it's got a matte painting at the end, but it's even deeper. I would love to see a behind the scenes on this whole thing. Just an incredible amount of effort went into creating this episode Mm -hmm. can you imagine i mean there are movies that don't have this much uh put into a scene Mm -hmm. the make the artistry and all of these dolls it's sort of like a uh it reminds me of like even like a bjork music video or something like that some people had mentioned that it's it's like an ari aster film what was his last one bo is afraid i think yeah Uh, i never actually saw it but such i i hope we get a chance to talk to these people that did this but also like you you mentioned the windmill we see the windmill on the tillman ranch we see that dilapidated old barn which is actually on the tillman ranch mm-hmm. you see these great pans you see gator um depicted it's the it's the wallpaper that's in the previous episode of their yeah with the roosters i one thing i did catch that was very like early gator like god he thinks women are property when they first bring her gator says can we keep her can we keep her dad and i thought she's not a good catch it's like that's another just like she's a possession she's not a person and 
gross. And even at that age, unfortunately, Gator has had that completely ingrained into his life. Mm. I mean, at the same time, poor guy, right? Like, can you imagine Roy as a dad, like as a young boy? Huh, not good, mm. obviously. Not good. Well, he's okay. Anyway, worth watching that scene several times because I know I did and I loved it every time. You notice a little bit more each time. Even the day to night, dude, for real. When it goes day to night, the camera never moves. The little little glistening lights that are through the matte painting in the back come up and all the lights shift and everything just turns down and it's nothing misses a beat. It's so good, except just the... This is the second time, though, that I want to bring up... Oh, I'm sorry. I have to back up. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Back it up. Back it up. Back it up. Back it up. Also, when they were, I was talking about Dorothy and Lindo walking through the woods in the rainbow, there's also wood chopping, and it is happening at the same rate as the tennis ball volleying. Whoa. Okay. Hungry? It's a beautiful day. Welcome, Linda. Why am I so tired? It's kind of a death, what they do to us, our men. The way they make us feel about ourselves. No, that's... I love my husband. He's been ten years of bliss. Honestly, I'm not here about him. This is a long-ago story. Come back to... Over and over. And then we sort of see the whole getting whacked marionette puppet when she first shows up. But if you cut to this scene that we're talking about at about 38 minutes, and you see... Wayne, uh, Roy, Puppet Roy hitting Puppet Linda. He's hitting her and the whack. Things were whack. bad for Linda then. Whack. Bitch. Stupid bitch. And, and and Gator runs to Dorothy for comfort, and it's echoing. It is also at the same pace and like back and forth of it. So it's the tennis, the tennis earlier, the wood chopping in the middle, and unfortunately, the depiction of of this happening to Linda at the hands of Roy in this you know marionette world. But uh, if there's anything's happening to you, like like all the things say, please. Please seek out help. Call somebody. Do something. Um, it's that's the third time that I've caught in this episode where this volleying of noises is not just a back and forth, but it's a striking of things. Mm. What do you think this is trying to tell us about Gator? And you are the one that said it too. Gator, his sister originally, sister, like kind of adopted sister in a way. Yeah. Well, at the time, I mean, assuming this is all true, which we're gonna go with, it is. Um, dot. Yes. Dot's 15 years old. Gator's, uh, what, 10 or something? Uh, I, I think we could actually figure it out. They've mentioned the math. Uh, they've mentioned the numbers several times. She, Gator's 27 now, so that's what we know. Um, so she is like a sister, but then also becomes sort of this guardian and then becomes a real guardian, his stepmom. Yeah. Dorothy is the second wife after Linda, mm-hmm. who's Saint Linda, before the Karen, but we don't know if they're actual legally married, right? Because we don't know if they ever really got divorced. And 
Um, marrying someone while you're still married to someone is technically illegal in the United States. Um, class C felony. Mm-hmm. Don't you know? Yeah. You know, you can get, you, you know, you can go up to, to prison for up to 40 years for bigamy. Really? I'll be in Salt Lake City in July. Uh, in June, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, okay, sorry, Utah, sorry, That's sorry. what I was hoping, that's the segue I was hoping nah, for. I shouldn't generalize. <laughs> There's just, this whole thing is just so amazing. It's done so well. It leaves so much to our imagination, good and bad. And you're right. We're like, this is her perspective of things through her dreamscape. And I'm not questioning whether it happened to her or not at all. I'm just questioning where certain things went from here um, mm. in the real world because it just makes you say, well, if this is what's going on, you know, I mean, and, and the other thing is Gator saw, you know, when she she was gone and, oh, I'm home again. And was it was it terrible without me? And then good old creepy Roy hand under the table is is there. And Ugh. there's uh hey, finally, you made the gross noise that I keep making this whole season <laughs> on the show. Um, but do you remember? And I, I forget the episode. Do you remember the episode where you and I were talking about Scotty and Dorothy talking underneath the stag and the color shift? Remember where it went from like blue to whatever? This happened yep. again where the, the little dress drops down from the ceiling and then Roy starts kind of hitting the puppet. And then I was his puppet. It was very brief, but they didn't have the sound as much there. Beating it, and as it cuts away to her, it is very, very, very faded out and washy and kind of whitish light. And then the minute like the applause and the truth starts happening, it all goes golden and blue like they've all seen the light and agreed. It's pretty interesting and I, I don't know someone could say oh maybe that's just they're turning on the rest of the lights or in the room i think it has something to do with an, an, an epiphany and a, and a truth truthfulness of i just supposed to truthiness damn you daily show mm. um but yeah you should check that out it's real nice it's got this wash of just glow mm. uh kind of starts at about 40 minutes 34 seconds and by Four seconds after that, it's she's washed in this beautiful golden light. It is. It's totally beautiful. And the whole reason for this camp utopia is this rebirth of all yes. these women. And it almost is it almost as if like Dorothy was fighting doing the puppet show as this part of this whole like, you know, quote, trial thing. She was fighting it the whole time. She went through with it. And then it was like she was reborn. It, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, maybe they're onto something. This worked. And you see that glow. And it is absolutely amazing. Also, you realize it wasn't until this point uh, when she wrapped up that I kind of was thinking to myself, did she again not have an accent while she was telling the story? Oh, it's certainly very much so. Even when she was having the kind of like very heated discussion with St. Linda in the, the gazebo, gone. Well, gone was, or at least it had toned down. So she's Everybody has a certain amount of an affectation they have. It's sort of like everybody has phone voice, right? Or customer service voice. Sure. Um, but no, even during the conversation she has out there, it was that way. And same, you're right, the same way that, that that had going on there. Yeah, so we don't really know where that accent thing is going. It might go nowhere. It might just be 
Might just be like, this is who Dot really is. Might be 10 years later, she goes, that was just me as a British person phasing in and out of being able to pull off a Minnesota accent. <laughs> and, and then, no, I don't think and so. And then someone will do a podcast on the show on the podcast where they'll say like, these two dipshit Midwesterners made way more out of it than... <laughs> I mean, the first time it happens, it literally says it in the subtitles that she breaks it. Yes, breaks it, does, it does. I know. I'm just... This has me thinking about that email from uh, listener Jamie who wrote in where she's like, oh my God, I'm going down random conspiracy theory rat holes. I can't stop myself. And I'm like, ah, don't worry. It's not just you. Uh, which, by the way, thank you so much to all the people who've written in. I tried to write back to as many people as I could. Between the holiday season and travel and work, we've been pretty busy. And so if you haven't heard back from us, know that we, we do read all the mail. We just can't respond to everything. This episode is definitely in, in terms of just the way it looks and feels and how it, it goes. It's just it's maybe in my top five. Definitely in my top five, without a doubt. For no reason, there's no major criteria for that. I'm just, I'm just saying, like when I when I look at the way it's shot, it's missing a lot of characters that I wish were in here. There's a lot of other great things, but this the storytelling device of this, and some people will say it's a trope that's been done a million times. And I made the joke about Dallas and Jr. got shot, but it still has meaning. And when I start to think about it, and that's why I asked you early on about your dreams, it, it it's real. It happens to us. We we sort things out in our actual minds, sometimes real or unrealized, when when you doze off in the weirdest of sleep states. I mean, I don't know, man. So the tr- the marionette tribunal worked, ruled in Dot's favor, and St. Linda will go with Dot yeah. to make Roy pay his justice. Yeah, this, the rewatch is so telling, though, isn't it, Sharpie? I was looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. The rewatch, everything was so much more clear, and it should be, obviously, but I didn't realize until the rewatch that St. Linda is never in focus. What? In the car when they're talking. Oh, in the car. Never in focus, because you and I just love the way things are shot, and and I think that's maybe where we kind of... I appreciate that people let us indulge ourselves in this chatter that isn't always about the story, but it's outside her purview, and what I thought was interesting and very kind of un-Fargo is normally... They'll cut to a one shot and you'll see somebody else, but you just, it's just interesting that she's so out of phase. And then you cut to this clarifying statements. And I don't know. I think you just sometimes you have conversations with yourself or about things. And I think this is a long turn of her. A, they're telling us a story of what happened to Dot from Dot's perspective. And when I say from her perspective, I'm not trying to say I don't believe her. I'm saying from her, her side of things. And I also think it's it's a reconciling of her realizing that she and Linda, like, right? We talk about how some people aren't so different. Indira tells Lorraine, you and Dart aren't so different. And so maybe she's she showed up angry at St. Linda. And at the end of this, she's like, you know what? I was wrong. You didn't do this to me. Roy did this. You You were a victim at Roy's hands just the same way I was. And the fact that you didn't take care of it, you know, and even me, I, I also thought... There was a phrase right at the end of the kind of puppety show where she says, and Roy said she packed a bag, or she said, packed a bag, Roy said. And I thought, if you notice, nowhere in there about her last leaving, Linda's last leaving, is it that Linda said, hey, I'm getting out of here to go see somebody. It was just that one day Roy said she packed a bag and left, which also leads me to believe Roy sent her to go see her sister. That. But that was, you know, but that made me realize that Roy, I really do think, killed her or did something to her because he wanted to trade her in 
for something newer and shinier mm. and, 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 and to make a, another, whatever, whatever he was trying mm. to do, you know, thinking about how gross Roy is. I do think Linda's obviously has been dead this whole time. And I think this is Dorothy. Oh, really? I think Linda's completely been dead this whole time. I don't think Linda escaped. I think Roy fucked up and I think she's dead. I don't know. That's just my hunch. I think, I think you're right, but you just kind of like, I think she's, I think she's dead. I think she's under the windmill. And I think Dorothy is, this is her telling us something through the story, but it's also Dorothy reconciling her anger with Linda and realizing that her anger was possibly misplaced. Oh, also she says, why didn't you take us with you? Which I think is a very nice signifier that Dorothy cares more about than just herself. She, Mm. when she thought Linda left them, she even wanted to save Gator from Roy. Yep. Before Gator turned to the dark side. She's a lion. She's a protector. She's a tiger. She's a hunter. She's all of these things. And pancakes. And pancakes. Back at the Brace Diner. Uh, How surprising was that semi-truck rolling through the truck stop i mean that was totally unexpected and that and that is a nice little bookend for the brace oh my god yeah i mean it's a dream on a dream in a way where you're like well that was fucked up holy shit i guess i should have seen that coming and then just although they did give us a giant honking horn semi right when she first sat down there so ugh, we should have known maybe we're still in a dream maybe you're right maybe it was inception Mm, or maybe not. It looked, I will say it looked good. The whole thing looked good, though. It looked awesome. Definitely. This show broke the bank, I think, for the, the season. I mean, they put all their, it's, it feels like they put all their money into this episode. I mean, this show had to have been in the making for the entirety of the season. Yeah. All right, talk to me about, we're back at a hospital, and we'll wrap this, let's put a, let's put a bow on this this bad boy. Let's do it. Yeah, so Dorothy still thinks that, I mean, she she still doesn't even realize it was a dream, right? Or maybe just the fact that she just got hit by a vehicle kind of threw her off a rocker a little bit. But she thinks that, um, you know, she's in this hospital now and she's very concerned about uh, St. Linda, not even realizing that that uh, wasn't a thing and didn't happen. And then she's talking about, well, is, is my husband here? Or the nurse says, your husband's here. He's waiting for you. You know, another thing she mentioned was it took a long time to figure out who you were, which I thought was really interesting uh, because, you know, she goes by Dot. She's got this other name, Nadine. Mm-hmm. Maybe at some at some point she was uh, in her weird world, uh, Alinda. That kind of like uh, sets a foundation. Like, yeah, we're in the real world. People don't know who she is. They're having trouble with their identity. She's like, oh, your husband's here. They've been waiting for you. Oh, Wayne. Wayne's here. And he's like, ah, the nurse is like, ah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and then you know it's not Wayne. When, and I, I apologize to this actor, but when the nurse goes, uh, yeah, and he's a real looker too. <laughs> yeah. Easy on the eyes. Too, Easy I on think the eyes. Uh, yeah, I think that's yeah. the right phrase. And it's like, oh, shit, that's John Hamm. That shot, though. He's got that's... quite the hard nipples. Just, just <laughs> always hard. <laughs> John, wait, where are you seeing, where are you picking up John Ham nipples? <laughs> oh, you want to know? Bill got excited there. Are you just, I'm, no, I'm just trying to decide if it really happened or if you're just projecting, you know, like, is there, <laughs> is there something you were. Yeah, your husband's here. Real easy on the eyes. Always, always a little cold, that one. God, perv. That doorway framing is intense. 
backlit, the silhouette of Roy, just everything about him, just the stockiness, the hardiness of his, he's a bull, right? In a china shop. Yeah, he, it's lit a lot like the puppet show was, you know, real dark. He's coming in, he's coming into the bedroom to help you with your homework. His face is just, he starts a little ominous. And then by the time he passes approximately like the closet clock, He's got a half-assed grin about it, you know, like, you're mine. He's been thinking about saying, I got you for, for a while. Oh, yeah. She's just frozen. Totally frozen. Poor gal. It, you don't know, we don't know how injured she is, but, I mean, it could be because of that. I doubt it because we'll probably see her escape. But that, how creepy is that? I got you. Very excited for the next episode. Let's finish up on the last thing that you need to talk about. We've, I already covered my Kristen Rudrude painting. Oh, so this is my painting. <laughs> the floor is yours. Uh, okay, well, my favorite thing, uh, you know, other than the obvious things we just talked about, the lighting, the ominous uh, smirk on Roy's face, the painting in the background of the nice prairie with the buffalo and the UFO. Clearly with the, tra- the tractor beam going on. <laughs> yeah, awesome nod to previous seasons. Uh, one of my favorite seasons as well. Uh, But I love UFOs. I love all of this stuff that's going on recently with the congressional hearings. And I love the fact that they have a UFO beaming down on the prairie with this buffalo in the foreground. Very odd painting. I don't know if any of the props people are listening to this, but if I can get a hold of that painting, I would certainly pay good money for it. Those are my favorite things. Bison and UFOs on the prairie. Come on. That's like all my favorite things. I just can't believe I missed it. And and John Hamm did talk about he made a UFO joke in the teaser for the season. So mm. with as much foreshadowing as there was in this episode, I mean the the entire episode was foreshadowing basically the next five minutes. I wonder if we won't see another UFO this season. I don't know. I I mean I doubt it, but it's a good one. We didn't see any D- deputy Olmstead. We didn't. We still haven't seen Whit Far in a long time. Too long. Too um, long. But that's that's okay. I love these types of episodes that really get really introspective on just a couple characters. Right. But every season seemingly has a couple of these like little like offshoots. You know the they're. Yeah, man, I even just think back. I know everybody talked a lot of shit about season four, and I'm not calling it my favorite, but I mean, the whole Wizard of Oz, the tornado going to color, the gas station, the there's so many things. The cartoon episode, right? Like, I can help. Yep. You know, like all of this, Mm -hmm. like, I don't know, this just, if this isn't the show for you, it's not the show for you, but you wouldn't be listening to our podcast if you didn't want this weirdness. I love it all. I'm more weirded out by how many sort of main characters haven't died. I'm okay with it. I mean, God, we barely got to know Scoot. I don't even remember his character's name. I mean, Scoot McNary had an air conditioner dropped on him within like the first two <laughs> episodes of of the the one season. And I love Scoot McNary, man. That guy's great in lots of shows. He is great. Yeah, we should rewatch the show sometime. I'm just, I'm so scared. And I don't definitely don't go back and listen to my old podcast. Gross. Uh, I don't even listen to this podcast. You don't. <laughs> I know that's true. I do put them on every once in a while in the car just to check if it sounds like trash or not, or sometimes it does. But okay, well, let, here's here's looking forward to what comes next. Here's uh, looking to finding out if Indira uh, takes the takes the job offer of finding right. out 
Uh, I I really hope we can reunite. I hope they don't make us keep waiting to reunite Wayne and Dorothy. Uh, I I think they need each other. I think they really do. The deadline is up for Indira, by the way. Yeah, well, we don't know how much time has passed in Dorothy's world. Maybe this was all happening simultaneously to that same day, Mm. right? Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like It's it's like we, we could be living the same day as just different portions of people's lives, but... That said, I'd love to see Whitfar. I'm starting to realize that of the main characters we're looking at, I have a hunch Gator's going to be one of the first to go. Maybe mm. he'll be spared. Maybe he will. I don't know. Who goes in the I hole? I think he'll be spared. Who goes in the hole that Oli's digging? Do you think it's... Because they're, they're not going to kill... If they, if, they get rid of, if they get rid of Roy in episode eight or nine, what's left? Who's Who's her... Who's the nemesis? You got to hang on to it a little bit. Yeah, I think they'll just torture him. They'll hang him by his nipple rings like that Ooh. ancient Native American tradition. Yeah. Mm. Well, let's see what happens. Well, okay. Send us your emails if you want to tell us we're off our rockers. What did we miss? What did we forget about? Uh, podcast at FargoTalksFargo.com. Sharpie, until next week. Uh, chicken piccata. Chicken piccata. See you Tuesday. Bye now.